Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and happy Friday. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. We got to spend a luxurious two episodes talking about Ralph McQuarrie this week. We did. This is one of those episodes. First, I should mention that it was your idea. It kind of, yeah. Should I tell that whole saga? Sure. Um, So, uh, as you may have noticed, we had some 3D audio in these episodes. And originally, we had been asked to do something that was going to come out the week of May 4th. And I said, hey, we we could do something kind of Star Wars-y. Because we were trying to think of what would work well with the 3D audio aspect for our show, which... Right, and... And May the 4th is Star Wars Day. Yeah, May the 4th is Star Wars Day. So that seemed like a good connection. Uh, And then the date of the the drop for these episodes got pushed by a week and it wasn't around Star Wars Day anymore. That's okay. Which was fine. Anytime is a good time to talk about Ralph McQuarrie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is one of those, those episodes that is simultaneously an absolute delight for me to research and work on. And incredibly deeply painful for me to research and work on because anybody who knows Ralph McQuarrie's work, particularly for the Star Wars films, which obviously I'm rabid about, it's so dense. There's so much of it. There are literally Mm -hmm. thousands of pieces of art. So having to only talk about a few of them was very (laughs) difficult. I could do an entire episode where I only talk about his work on Bespin because Cloud City is where it's at for me. Yeah. Something that was really interesting to me, I have seen uh, all the Star Wars movies, some of them more than one time, and I've seen all of the Mandalorian, but, like, I have never had the level of Star Wars connection and immersion that you have had, but still reading a lot of the descriptions of the art that he made, so much of it, like, I immediately know exactly what scene Mm -hmm. you were talking about and exactly what it looks like. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really marvelous uh, to see how meticulously some of his his imagery was recreated on screen with really very little or no changes to it. I mean, he t- he talks in various interviews. He's, he talks through the years about how, like, there were just times when things could not look the way he drew them because there were just logistics, and he understood that from like a, a materials perspective, you can't actually make this thing. Which is pretty interesting, but there are some that just look exactly like what he painted. Right. One of the things that I did not get into, and it kind of falls into that territory, is his designs for Yoda. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because his Yoda does not look like Yoda at all. When he read the script and it was, you know, this sort of wizened, very old Jedi, in his mind, he was like a bony, crotchety looking creature. And he looks much more severe in his images. If you've seen any of his uh, paintings of Yoda, you'll see that they look very, very different. Um, and he kind of said like, well, some of the that changes that other concept artists were coming up with things that were a little closer to what mm-hmm. George wanted. But also the puppeteers really like kind of dominated the decision process because they knew what the materials could and couldn't do and what was actually going to work and play on screen versus, like, trying to create this weird bony thing that probably wouldn't have had the same level of of warmth to it. Um, It's so wonderful because he was, for the most part, when you read interviews with him, he was not territorial about his art at all. 
Like, mm-hmm. he never was like, they didn't do what I thought was better. The only thing I ever saw him mention was the Ewoks. Where he was like, I really wish they had looked scarier. Um, you I know, know, man. I, I was the exact age <laughs> to love those Ewoks. Oh, me I'm too. glad they were adorable. I mean, I still love the Ewoks. The um, the animated Ewok adventures are now on Disney Plus, and I'm mm-hmm. they're so ridiculous and wonderful. And I I relish that they turned out so cute. That now we have adorable animated stuff that we can revisit. I um, yeah, there were things that I was like, oh, should I put this in? I had a whole long description for a while of uh his art of the speeder bike chase. Mm-hmm. Which has a lot of a sense of motion to it, but it was just like, this is another, like, 500 words that is just about this one painting, and I don't know that it does anything different from what we've already talked about. Right, Um, I mean, I'm happy to talk about all of these paintings forever and ever and ever, Uh, but you have to load balance it a little bit. It's also interesting that his work, it appears, was just universally awe-inspiring. Mm-hmm. Like, there are even moments where people talk about different collaborators that maybe weren't always great at, like, inc- at being that sort of non-ownership approach that he had, where they were like, no, I want my version. But, like, everybody would see his work and be like, this guy is amazing. Uh, whatever mm-hmm. he draws, let's put it in the movie. Um, which is sort of lovely. And I really could watch interviews with him forever, because he has this very gentle, sweet way about him. And you just kind of want to, like, buy him a coffee and ask him to tell you stories about art. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he's just, he was a really, really uh, wonderful man, um, you know, and did did some various convention appearances before his passing. And and just so beloved by everybody. Like, there's just no bad press on the dude. <laughs> mm. uh, but I, I, there is a, a mind-boggling part of it where we talked about how fast he was. Like, he would turn around a concept painting sometimes in two days. And they were big paintings with a lot of details. But to him, and he talks about how, well, that was work. That was my job. But I, it, it's so strange to juxtapose his kind of pragmatism about it and his lack of like, no, I've passionately fought for it to look this way. Uh, he doesn't do that. He's very like, well, practically speaking, it seemed to make more sense this way. So that's what I did. Yeah. And yet he yeah. turned out these things that just take people's breath away, which is kind of a a, a very different image of an artist than what we often get. Right, right. <laughs> just a Mr. Equanimity, relaxed yeah. about everything. <laughs> uh, even though the quote that you read from him at the very end of the episode kind of downplayed the idea of, like, commercial and technical art being mm. art. Um, I feel like a lot of what he did just is really evidence that, like, yeah, if you're doing this for your paycheck and you're doing it for, to the client's spec, it's still art. Like, <laughs> <laughs> even if you felt like that wasn't really art, it definitely is still art. Uh, yeah. 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 I, uh, there's another quote I didn't include from him, but it was very, um, I don't know if I would call it self-critical, but it was very humble where he was talking about like, you know, beautiful, perfect art incorporates, like he, he would see that like commercial art could be beautiful and he'd be like, but it incorporates like this sense of just, uh, you know, effortlessness and beauty and it all comes together and my art just isn't quite there. And I'm like, what? Yeah. (laughs) I know, excuse. Yeah, I know. I know a lot of people whose job involves making art. 
uh, who are incredibly hard on themselves when they see their finished art that they have made for work. And I mean, I know all of us who do something creative can be really hard on, on our own creative work, but like, there, it's it's a similar vibe in, in how people have talked about the flaws <laughs> they have seen in their own visual art that they did for their job. Yeah, it's astonishing. I mean, I, I again, I, I'm like you, I get it, but it's so mismatched to what we're actually looking at when we look at his paintings that I'm mm-hmm. like, Ralph, who did not have a, a really strong grasp on reality, my friend. Um, I will tell you, researching for this one may have also, uh, you know, resulted in another tattoo plan. <laughs> nice! <laughs> Uh, so if that happens, I'll be sure to share it on social. It, uh, not one of his more detailed things, but one of his sketches that I just kind of fell in love with and kept going back to. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, those ice spiders. Mm-hmm. Love them. I love them. <laughs> I may be the only one who was like clapping and squealing with joy through that episode the first time I saw it because I like spiders anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, while my poor husband was like wadded up in a ball at the end of the couch. And I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, not really. And I'm like, well, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's beautiful. I encourage anybody, if you haven't spent time looking at his work, particularly if you've seen maybe his more famous work, but not some of his lesser-known pieces, it's worth just uh, doing a search on the internet and kind of getting lost for a, a little while, maybe while you have your coffee or something or a, a little break in your day, because it's, it is just, it's refreshingly beautiful. Like, I I think there is something so special about his work because he does bring that technical expertise that he got working in aerospace, mm-hmm. but elevates it in a way that is completely sublime and beautiful. Um, and I obviously have, like, fangirl rabies over his work in particular, but uh, I think most people that look at it can appreciate that it is really quite spectacular. If you can find a picture of um, particularly those matte paintings that he did for the landing platform scene that we talked about in Empire Strikes Back, and also the scene where the big showdown between Luke and Vader happens in that shaft, like where they're just surrounded by open space and black walls full of light. He painted that <laughs> um, that background and then had to go in and it got filmed and then he did some retouching to fill in some spaces. And it's just, it's really uh, a testament to like an incredible level of skill um, that I, it will forever blow my mind. So I hope everybody enjoyed it and found this fun and was okay with indulging me in my Star Wars rabies for two full episodes. <laughs> um, also, we hope that you have a great weekend ahead. Uh, if you have time off, I hope you spend it doing things that are joyous and restful, not making art for other people, but maybe for yourself. <laughs> Follow Ralph's lead. Just lie down and see what happens. Have a nap. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you do have to work, I hope that you can also find your your moments of inspiration or beauty and that everybody is super cool to you. We will see you here tomorrow with a classic and next week with new episodes. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.